Morning, church. My name is Caleb, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Desert Springs. Today, we're going to continue on in a series in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6, and uh, I'd encourage you to turn there. If you are joining us in person, I believe you guys should have received a handout with the text that we're going to be going through. Did you guys get that today, the handout? Yeah, great. Okay, great. Uh, If you want a print Bible and you're in the room, i got some available for you on the tables in the back. If you don't own a Bible, grab one of those as our gift to you. Please only one per person. If you take them all and sell it on eBay, uh, it will break my heart. Um, but please take those. And for those of you joining us online, uh, if you have a print Bible, I want to encourage you to grab that, open up to Mark chapter 6. I think it'll be easier for the flow this morning. Uh, but if you don't have one, no problem. Uh, just go to Bible.com, and we're using the Christian Standard uh, version of the Bible today. Before we uh, get into uh, our time together in the text, I want to give you a, a heads up on an opportunity that we have uh, to invest, for those of you that are married, to invest in your marriage. So we have a marriage workshop coming up on the, I think it's the 25th and 26th, great. Um, and here's the deal. So this marriage workshop is, uh, we're bringing in some heavy hitters for this. So this is, uh, we're bringing like professional level counselors to come and give us some tools uh, to invest in our marriages. Um, and so if you are, um, maybe you're, you've been married for a little while now and you, you notice that like you keep talking about the same thing over and over and it's like we're not making progress, or maybe uh, there's just this general sense like we need to talk, we need to figure this out, but we don't feel like we have the tools to do that, uh, this marriage workshop would be an excellent opportunity to invest in your marriage. So here's the deal. Uh, If you think about like ways that you can invest in your marriage and and like a scale, and there's a lot of different ways to do it, but just to help us understand uh, what this will be like. uh, If if over here you've got like reading a book together on marriage, which is great, glad for you guys to do that. Uh, And then all the way over here is like consistent weekly uh, time with a professional counselor. This workshop is kind of like in the middle leading a little bit this way. So these, they're going to be professional uh, counselors who are going to give us uh, uh, specific tools and then coach us uh, in, a, in a safe environment. We won't have to do like group share and stuff like that. It'll be a safe environment uh, where we can get some tools, practical tools, uh, and, and some guidance on navigating uh, those issues in our marriages. So if you're there, I want to encourage you to take advantage of that. Uh, f- uh, if you receive that handout, the link should be on the back. And for those joining us online, if you go to dsbc.church uh, up at the top, there's a link to events and then navigate to the uh, marriage workshop. Uh, Now, as part of our uh, gatherings each week, we've been tethering ourselves to the ancient tradition of uh, listening to the words spoken and then kind of digesting it together. And so uh, I'm going to read here in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 30 and on. And I'm going to ask you just for a moment if you would uh, just allow yourself to hear the words spoken over you. So just Maybe if it's helpful to close your eyes, um, just allow the word to be spoken and to receive it, and then to be attentive to whatever the Spirit might be doing uh, as, as you hear the word. Maybe uh, images are coming to your mind, maybe a word that you'll hang on to or a phrase. Uh, just allow your imagination to be present in that space, and let's let the word come alive uh, to us this morning. Uh, by the way, the, uh, the, to my best understanding, uh, the scriptures were primarily uh, artistically designed to be heard more than read. No problem reading it. I love reading the Bible. We're going to read a bunch of it today. Uh, But we also recognize that there's some artistry to it. When we hear it, sometimes that pops out more. And also sometimes when we're allowed to just uh, to hear the word, our imagination can kind of paint some of that picture for us. And and so today is kind of a famous uh, passage. It's a famous moment in the teaching of Jesus. Some of you guys maybe have heard this story before, uh, but I believe that it will be helpful to us today. Uh, So this is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 30 and on. 
Now the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it is already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving, to, he kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish, and now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. So one of the things that I want to notice here, is this a, do you guys recognize what's going on here? Is this famous? I mean, is this like the story we tell our kids, like feeding of 5,000? So if you, if, especially if you grew up going to church, uh, this is kind of a, like, a, this is like greatest hits, right? Like feeding of the 5,000. For those of us maybe who didn't grow up going to church, maybe you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, e- even kind of out in the wild, uh, kind of outside of church settings, this is still kind of a popular um, uh, uh, miracle of Jesus. And, and there's more to it than meets the eye. And I hope to dive into some of that with you today. But the first thing I want to notice is uh, something, a statement that we kind of started saying at Desert Springs last uh, fall. And that is that one of the things that we're all about as a church family is that we strive to help people be with Jesus, think like Jesus, and love like Jesus. I just want to notice, I want to call these out because this is core to our church family, that we are striving to help people. What's the first thing? Be with Jesus. Everybody say it. Be with Jesus. Okay, be with Jesus, think like Jesus, and love like Jesus. Yeah, that's right. I know, right? We don't have the hand motions down all the way yet, but we're getting there, right? To be with Jesus. And the reason that I want to notice that is because I just want to notice that as a church family, we are committed to being with Jesus. That comes from, uh, um, among others, a text like this where Jesus, first thing he does is he invites his disciples to be with him. One of the key things throughout this series that we're talking about is what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, to be a disciple is not just to be a follower or a learner. It's not 
just someone who's going to think like Jesus or someone who's going to put love into action like Jesus. It's also someone who's going to have a relationship with Jesus. This is why we don't call ourselves students of a teacher, but rather we are disciples of Jesus because we, uh, we believe that there's a relationship with Jesus. Now, uh, we are coming up on a season leading up to Easter uh, that in, in, in many church traditions, uh, it's a season that's practiced called Lent. Uh, for those of you, maybe if you grew up in a religious tradition that, that was more liturgical, you might be familiar with Lent. Lent is generally uh, the 40 days leading up to Easter. It usually starts on what is commonly referred to as Ash Wednesday. But it's a season of preparation. It's a season of lamentation. It's a season of confession. It's intentionally designed as a season in which we give up some things. We, we maybe engage in acts of generosity and service. But it's a focused season in anticipation for the celebration of Easter where we intentionally dive deeper into being with Jesus. Okay, so we want to, we, I believe Jesus calls us to be with him all the time, but Lent is a, is a season where we can, leading up to Easter, uh, prepare ourselves for that. And so I just want to encourage you uh, if you are maybe wondering what's a way to put this into practice. So uh, our friend Ted Wiesty, who's uh, served as a pastor here in Phoenix for many years, he is the uh, leader of the uh, Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Uh, he's actually uh, uh, written this Trusting God in the Wilderness, which is a daily Lenten guide, and it'll take you through Lent up until uh, Good Friday. And we've got these available for you at the Info Center. So if you guys want to grab some of these, here's my encouragement. If you've never done anything for Lent before, don't worry. Don't worry. You're fr- it's awesome, right? It's fresh. So it's a, it's a discipline to uh, go through. Each day has kind of a, a guided prayer, a guided thought, some guiding scripture where you can kind of center yourself. And, and again, just saying, I'm going to invest in my being with Jesus in this season. And it kind of gets us to, uh, into what's usually referred to as Holy Week, which is kind of the week leading up to Easter. And here at Desert Springs, we're going to have some time on Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before Easter, uh, and then Good Friday, which is the Friday before Easter and then on Easter where we're going to call some of this material into activity corporately as a church family. So I'd encourage you, uh, again, you can grab that at the info booth on your way out. If you have another Lenten guide or another practice that you do or spiritual discipline you do, awesome. We're not trying to prescribe this for you, uh, but we did just want to make that available to you. And our friend Ted uh, has has given that to us to to make available to y'all. So I want to highly recommend that. Okay, so this idea of being with Jesus, you just see it right here. Um, I think we can get it up here on the TV. Okay, there we go. So the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Okay, first of all, TV timeout. Hi. I uh, serve as your pastor, and I got to tell you guys, I love you guys so much. And I am, I just, I wanted to take a moment. I listened to uh, my last couple of sermons and I recognized that I, that I go really fast and I get all excited and I kind of like my eyes glaze over and roll into the back of my head and I just start yelling and, and pointing stuff out and that's probably not going to change. <laughs> the reason I wanted to pause is to say, I just really appreciate you guys and your excitement exceptional grace and long-suffering in this. I hope you guys are having as much fun going through this series as I am. There's so much cool stuff here. I get all jazzed, and you don't want to be here for four hours, neither do I. And so so sometimes I go fast. I know I'm going to try to slow down. I'm working on it. It's one of my besetting sins. Um, 
not likely to happen anytime soon. So we make our sermons available online. Uh, you can visit those. So if I, if I say something or we miss something, uh, we make those available online, dsbc.church. Also, uh, we have a, a, a woman in our congregation who it is her ministry to transcribe the sermons and point out to me all of my grammatical mistakes and all of the way in which I could really improve on American English. Um, but she's, uh, she is awesome. But those actually are transcribed online, so you can actually search the whole sermon, which is a huge uh, gift uh, to me at least, um, and it might be to you as well. So I just wanted to make sure that you guys are, uh, notice, uh, uh, notice that that's available. We also have it on our podcast. So, uh, and on the podcast, you can actually slow it down too. Like you can go to 50% speed and then uh, we'll see. Um, I, will, I think we'll put in a laugh track too, so the jokes actually land. So just notice, um, notice that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him that they, all that they had done and taught. So if you remember last week, last week we had this really bizarre uh, structure of events in the Gospel of Mark chapter 6 where, where Jesus sends out his disciples to go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, to cast out demons and to heal people, right? Which is living and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Then there's this really bizarre interlude. And and if you weren't with us last week, go back and listen to this sermon. What I'm about to say is going to sound really bizarre. There's this really bizarre interlude where it's just King Herod beheading John the Baptist at a party. So King Herod's hosting a party. Everyone's lit up. Uh, his, and it's totally weird. And I'm not trying to say that this is good. In fact, this is really bad. Uh, but his uh, like, uh, uh, daughter-in-law comes in and dances for everybody. And he's so, and I think he gets seduced. He's so entranced by her. He promises her uh, up to half of his kingdom. She, go back, she goes back and asks her mom. And her mom says, bring John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, bring John the Baptist's head on a platter to me. And they do it. So at Herod's party, at Herod's dinner party, all the military commanders, the political uh, leadership, the wealthy and affluent, they're all there. Uh, the, the, the wine and food is flowing. There's opulence and affluence. And there's also this sensuality. And then there's this murder at Herod's meal. You guys remember that for those of you who are here? Am I making this up? Can someone tell the people around say he's not making it up? Okay, I'm not making it up. Okay, it's in your Bible. Go, this is, but it's not in your kid's Bible. Right? You'll notice if you read your children's Bible, like 90% of the stuff is missing. It's, that's why. Okay. The, uh, so, so, and then the apostles come back, right? So in verse 30, the apostles gather around Jesus to report him all that they had done. So Jesus sends them out. You get this... You get this John the Baptist beheading, and then the next, all we know that's left about the apostles is they come back and they report to them all that they had done and taught. If you're one of the disciples, are you feeling pretty good? You had a successful round of ministry. Hmm? You, you, you were like, Jesus, man, it was awesome. Like, John did this, and, and, and Philip did this, and like, I was like preaching, and we cast out this demon named Jim, and, and we had, we, there was a miracle, and, and the, the people, and, and it was awesome, Jesus, right? So they report back to Jesus all that they had done and taught. Jesus said to them, what? Come away by yourselves to a remote place. Notice that. What kind of place? Remote place. And What? Rest for a while. Does that sound nice? Rest for a while with Jesus. Notice that Jesus says, come and be with me. That's why as a church family, we want to lead with being with Jesus, right? No matter who you are, where you've been, where you're going, Jesus welcomes you and he wants you to be with him. Now, many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So here are these disciples. They've just come back from this 
this, this successful ministry trip, and all these people are crowding around Jesus. Do you see it? So much so that they can't even what? Can't even eat, right? Is that a lot of people crowding around them? Yep, it's busy, right? Notice Jesus leaves the tyranny of the urgent to spend time with his disciples, and he calls them to follow him as well, right? So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. What kind of place is remote, like in the, in like the ancient Near East area, like around Galilee? Like desert, yeah, like, like wilderness, right? 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 Right, okay, go get a map. Look for remote, remote places. Oh, hello, Phoenicians. If we were to go find a remote place, what type of a place would we be in? Kind of a wilderness place, right? Okay, you guys got, you guys got it? Okay, so they go away to a what kind of a place? Remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognizing them. They ran on foot. They should have signed up for the World Vision Marathon. <laughs> if they got this kind of energy, Lindsay, can we talk about these people? Right? From all, notice where are they running on foot from? The towns. How many of the towns? All of the towns, right? These people are coming from everywhere, right? So again, if you've been following along with this for the last few weeks in this study of Mark, notice how big the crowd is getting. Every week, the crowd goes from like a little small group of people, and then it's bigger, 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 and now the crowd is coming from where? All of the towns, <laughs> right? We just stopped naming towns. Just if it was a town in the region, people are running from there, okay? And they arrived ahead of them, and you're like, row, row, row your boat, disciples, right? Right? You've just had an exhausting season of ministry. Jesus says, let's go away to a remote place and, and be together and rest. And you're like, thank you, Jesus. That sounds wonderful. And you're, and you're just rowing and then you're just kind of going. And then all of a sudden you see these, out of the corner of your eye, you see these people that are like. <laughs> and you're just like, ah, this vacation's going to suck. <laughs> right? It goes all the way, right? Ahead of them. When he, went ashore, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd of people, and what was Jesus feeling towards them? Yeah, in my studies, that word compassion that gets translated as compassion, it only gets used of Jesus in the New Testament, at least in the Gospels. I only looked at the Gospels. Jesus has this, it actually kind of gets to like his guts, right? He just has this, mm, this compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without what? Sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. Now, there's two things I want to notice here. Um, number one, where are they? W wilderness, okay? And, and the disciples are trying to spend some time with Jesus, okay? Uh, they see, Jesus sees all these people. Jesus has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Two things about that. Um, and, and both of them are, are just fun. <laughs> so I have a very, I think it's unhealthy. I think I have an unhealthy hobby. Can I tell you guys my unhealthy hobby? I think it's unhealthy because it's probably not safe. Uh, my unhealthy hobby is to uh, take pictures of bumper stickers or the backs of vehicles with bumper stickers that have God talk on it or Jesus talk on it and then things that I think are contrary to Jesus. You guys with me so far? Now, some of us are like, 
uh-oh, he's talking about the back of my car. I, I don't know. I don't, this is anonymous. I'm not going to pull anybody's pictures up. And I'm certainly not trying to shame anybody. I'm just trying to understand. I'll give you an example. Uh, I, you know, it, it's like, you know, you see the back of the car, and it's like, um, you know, uh, um, um, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then expletive the president. Yeah. So what I'm trying to, the reason I take pictures of this, I'm trying to make sense of it. Like, how does these two things fit together? Like, how does, how does following Jesus lead one to all, say, I follow Jesus and also expletive the president? And, and again, it doesn't matter what the president is. I'm just trying to make sense of, like, how these things fit together. Or, you know, um, uh, peace be upon thee, and then nuke them. And you're like, oh, wait. Okay, I don't know, how, like, how do these things feel? So, so one, of the, one of the ones, one of the stickers, hello, one of the stickers that I've seen recently is um, that it was something intimating that Christians should be lions, not sheep. And, and, I, and I, this is unhealthy. I quit, I'm driving. I quickly got my phone out. Don't, please don't do this. Please don't do this. And I'm trying to, like, I'm following this person around. I, slow down, please. And, um, oh, no, it's okay. I'm a pastor. Um, <laughs> And, and, and here's why I, I, I wanted a picture of it, because I don't understand. I'm trying to understand, because all throughout your scripture, especially in the teachings of Jesus, the followers of Jesus are called not lions, but sheep. Here you have sheep without a shepherd. It's a consistent theme in scripture. Here's the other thing, too. I, I think I hear like language like, don't be a sheeple. Uh, right? Don't be sheeple. And, I, and I, think, I, I think I understand where that's coming from, but I just want to say, if you think you're not following somebody, you're fooling yourself. Like, we're all following somebody. And for me and mine, I'm gonna, like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to follow the dude who said he was going to die and rise from the grave and pulled it off. So I think his way is better than your way until you can do that. You do that, I'll give you a shot. Right? I, I'm about following. I'm a sheep of the good shepherd who laid his life down, then, by the power of God, rose from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death. I'm proud to be one of his sheep, and I'm going to follow him wherever he leads. I'm going to try to, at least. And, and, and here's the deal. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to follow the good shepherd. And here's it. If Jesus ain't your shepherd, somebody else is. And, if, and, then you're, and you might be listening to someone tell you that you're your own shepherd. They're your shepherd. The one who's taking your money and your clicks, telling you that you're not a sheeple. They're your shepherd. Look to the one who gave his life for you. He's not asking for your likes, your clicks, or your money. He gave you his life. Okay? All right. Oh, I'm preaching. Sorry. Okay, here we go. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Sheep without a shepherd would have been, by the original hearers, a highly uh, political military uh, phrase. We see it throughout the uh, ancient Near East, especially in Judaism. It was a, it was a way to talk about um, uh, uh, leaders of uprisings who would rise up against Rome. They would be the sheep, uh, excuse me, they would be the shepherd of the sheep who were without a shepherd. They would, they would step in. So in the region of Galilee, which is where this is taking place, it was a haven for zealots. Uh, there's actually one of Jesus' uh, 12 were called a zealot, Simon the Zealot. And these were people who wanted to use military force to kill the Romans and reestablish uh, their, their country, their, their people. 
And so this language would have had huge uh, 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 military and political overtones. And I just, I don't know, for some of us, they're like, uh-oh, he's getting political. Okay. Yes. Hi. Uh, the entire gospel of Mark is radically political. I just want to, just want to prove it to you just right quick. Uh, have you guys heard of Good Friday? Okay, on Good Friday, when they are uh, uh, mocking Jesus before they crucify him, what do they put on his head? A crown. And above his head when they crucify him, what do they say? Here is the king. It's all throughout your scriptures. It's, it's all throughout the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is radically political, but not in the way you think. Right? It's surprising. It's subversive. It's, it's radically political in a way that we have to kind of rethink all of our categories, which means it's working. Okay. Uh, then he began to teach them many things. Does Mark tell us what he teaches them? Once again, Mark just says he teaches them, bye, right? He teaches them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is, where are they? They're in the wilderness, the deserted wilderness. Okay. And it is already late. Send them away so that they can go in the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Is that a just totally normal thing for these guys to say? This is super normal. Jesus, it's late. We're in the wilderness. People get hungry at dinner time. Send them away to eat some food. Is that normal? Now, notice... <laughs> Jesus forces the problem. Jesus could have legitimately said, quite right, send them away. We'll see you guys tomorrow, right? He could have, he could have easily done that. Notice Jesus forces the problem. I love this. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000 is an unnecessary miracle. It's not necessary. They could have handled it another way. But Jesus didn't want to do that. He wanted to do it a fresh way. Okay, let's take a look. <laughs> I love this. What does Jesus say to his disciples? You give them something to eat. Now, immediately, if you're one of his disciples, where did you just get back from? Touring around, casting out demons, healing people, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Okay, so, in their, so Jesus may be expecting their, them to be in that frame of mind, but what frame of mind are they in? They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? By the way, 200 denarii, do you know how much that is? A lot. Everyone say a lot. That's a lot of money, right? They're like, Jesus, you want us to go spend a lot of money? Again, there's more than 5,000 people here we got to feed. Of bread and give them something to eat? Is that a natural response? Yeah, and yet their frame of mind is still in human-oriented pragmatics. But what Jesus wants to do is something greater. Jesus wants to do something bigger. Jesus wants to show off the kingdom in a different way than just go and spend money to solve the problem. Some, uh, sometimes in our scarcity, hold on, zoom in on me here. Sometimes in our scarcity, God wants to do a work to show that he can move mountains even with meager means. Sometimes we're worried about the money, and he's concerned about our faithfulness. Here we go. Okay. Uh, he asked them, uh, so you give them something, uh, do you want us to go spend a bunch of money and give them something to eat? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. 
okay, Jesus. So they go and survey like thousands of people. When they found uh, out, they said, five uh, loaves of bread and two fish. Uh, five plus two is, um, five plus two is, uh, five plus two. There was a number seven. Five plus two is seven. Yeah, and seven is a recurring theme in the Bible of number of perfection. Like how many days are there in a week? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Weird. Okay, so five and two. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups uh, on the green grass. Where are they? Oh, I love this. Oh, my goodness. <gasps> the plot thickens. Where are they? They're in the wilderness. In uh, Phoenix, aside from like um, spring after a heavy rain or maybe after a monsoon, when you go out in the wilderness, do you see fields of green grass that could house 15,000 people? Like, this isn't like the sound of music area, is it? What's that, Austria? Yeah, okay. Uh, fields of green grass, right? It, strange. Everyone just zoom in on this and say, hmm. How is there so much green grass for 15,000 people to sit? Uh, by the way, I'm getting 15,000 because the 5,000 was just the dudes. So if you count just uh, one woman and one child, plus you get to 15, uh, it could be upward to 20, 25,000 people. How are you seating that many people in a remote area on green grass? Hmm. Interesting. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Now, why do you think we get the detail that they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties? Okay. Have you guys ever heard of the term a cover song or a cover band? What's a cover song or a cover band? A cover song is when a band today uh, does in their own way or tries to do it exactly, although that's usually a tribute, but they, they do kind of in their own way uh, an old band's song, right? So, so let's say you're, 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 on, you know, you're kicking around Desert Ridge on a Friday night and, uh, and, you, and you're thinking about the song, um, uh, what's a good song? Uh, Stairway to Heaven. You're thinking about the song by Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven. You're just walking around, it's in the back of your mind. And then you uh, walk past... Uh, um, uh, a band, and it's like a bluegrass band, and you tell your wife, let's leave, please, but she, she makes you stay, and then you fight about it, and now you're signed up for the marriage uh, workshop that's coming up. I'm, sorry, I'm projecting. I'm projecting. Okay, so you stay, and there's another band of a different genre, and you, you hear the progression of notes, and all of a sudden, you're tuned into the fact that, oh, they're doing a cover of Stairway to Heaven. It's the same, it's, it's similar, but it's different, right? You guys familiar with cover songs, right? The new artist is adding kind of their own flair. They're adding their own piece. They're using what is old and they're refreshing it and making it new for a new purpose, for a new moment, right? Is that a cover band? Most of your New Testament is just cover songs of your Old Testament. Most of the material in your New Testament is just New Testament authors riffing on what you find in your Old Testament, and I'd like to just prove you one, in just one little example, one little moment here. Has there ever been a time where a mass of people have been out in the wilderness hungry, not knowing where they're going to get their food, and then they get separated into groups of like thousands, five hundreds, hundreds, and fifties? Has that ever happened in your Bible? Yes, it does. In the book of Exodus, when Moses, who was one of the great leaders of Israel, when he leads God's people out of captivity in Egypt, leads them to the promised land, they spent about 40 years wandering in the 
wilderness place. And they wander in the wilderness place, and they don't have food to eat. And so Moses even asks, how am I going to feed all these people? And God says, uh, every day I'm going to send manna. And so they would go out every morning, and they would pick up a bread-like substance. You know, kind of like, give us this day our you know, daily bread. And so God provided day by day the needs of the people. But there's this other scene where uh, Moses was trying to lead all the people by himself. And his father-in-law, uh, uh, Jethro, comes to him and says, uh, you're dumb. Uh, stop trying to do that. You're a limited person. You need to lead through other people. And so he divides the people into groups very similar to this. Notice what Jesus is doing to his disciples. Separate the people into these manageable groups, and then you go lead them. Did you notice that? Notice Jesus is not directly feeding all of these groups of people, but he's doing it through his disciples. He is, he is mirroring Moses. Do you see it? This is a cover song. Something else is going on here too. Oh my goodness, I love this. Okay, here we go. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his, who did he give the loaves to? Who did he give the food to? His disciples to set before the people. Notice it goes from Jesus to disciples to the people. Do you see it? Right? Similar to Moses, okay? So, oh, oh, okay, 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 okay. Communion. Communion is something that we do frequently here at Desert Springs. It's a moment to remember. Sometimes we call it, uh, it's called Eucharist, which just means Thanksgiving, uh, or Lord's Table, Lord's Supper, um, Communion. Uh, we take of bread and, and, and the fruit of the vine, and we remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And, and we, we take that from, um, from a few texts in Scripture, but one of them is Mark chapter 14, where Jesus uh, initiates this at the Passover for his disciples. He gives them the bread. He gives them uh, the wine. And I just want to notice something here, that he blessed, broke, and gave, which are the same words that are going to be used in Mark chapter 14 when he blesses, breaks, and gives of the bread to his disciples at communion. I think, okay, this is my conjecture, but I'm right. This is just my opinion, but if you disagree with me, you're wrong. All right, it is really just my opinion. I think what Mark is doing is he's tethering the provision of God as on full display with the manna to the chosen people through Moses, he's tethering that to this scene, and he's tethering it to what's going to come in Mark chapter 14, which is Lord's table. And, and here's why I think he's doing that. How much life does Jesus have to give? How much life does Jesus have to give? Is it limited or abundant? Is it finite or infinite? How, right? So just notice, right? At communion, we take of, we remember the bread of life broken for us. I think I'm actually going to start crying here in a minute. I think this is such a beautiful image of what Jesus is up to. He's not, remember, did Jesus have to do this to feed the people? He's trying to do something bigger. Oh, my goodness. Okay, watch this. Um, he kept giving to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them. Everyone ate and was what? Satisfied. 
Was anyone hungry at Jesus' table? In the kingdom of God, is anyone hungry? Okay, let's remember that, especially next week. By the way, you all got to come back next week. Next week, you got to be here. That's all I'm going to say. It's going to be, oh. You got to be here next week. Okay, so just remember that for next week. Is, is, did people go hungry in the kingdom of God? No. Okay, so everyone ate and was what? They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Notice how much does Jesus have to give? Just enough or abundance? Just an abundance or a superabundance? Does he not give enough to where these people can actually take what is left over or what didn't get eaten and take it and distribute it in their towns? How much life does Jesus have to give? Now, hang with me here. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. Again, that's where we got the number, where I'm getting 15,000 or 20,000. Everyone ate and was satisfied. Okay, time out. Do you remember last week we had a meal? There was a meal last week. It was not Jesus' meal. Whose meal was it? It was Herod's meal. Now, at Herod's meal, who got invited? The, 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 the military powers, right? The, the affluent. O- only those who were important according to this world's standards got invited to Herod's meal. And at Herod's meal, certainly the wine and the bread and the meat was flowing, but there was also this, this deceitful, this essentially deceitfulness that was going to where even Herod, in his, and I think in his, in his, uh, in his, he was drunk in sensuality or drunk with wine, he promised half of his kingdom, and what ended up being demanded to him was the life of John the Baptist. And so how did Herod's meal end, in life or death? Okay, so Herod's meal, I think Mark is intentionally juxtaposing these two feasts. In Herod, we see how the kingdoms of this world, how people treat one another, how they treat their resources, how they expect God to behave, which in Herod's mind is not at all. And yet in Jesus' kingdom, in the kingdom of God, everyone ate and was satisfied. By the way, who got invited to Jesus' feast? It was just the disciples at first, but then thousands upon thousands of people came running towards Jesus. And you know who Jesus said no to? Herod's gates were locked. Jesus doesn't even have a palace. So when we take of communion, hang with me here, we're tethering it to that ancient understanding of God's providing, God providing his daily bread for the people in Egypt. We're seeing on full display that Jesus has plenty to give. And he uses his disciples to hand it out. Do you notice it? So uh, we're going to take communion. I'm actually going to ask that you would please take your communion elements uh, from the back of the seat in front of you if you'd like to take communion with us today. I'm going to ask my man Javi to join me up here, who's one of our pastors in residence, or pastoral residence, I should say, who's doing a great job. Uh, i got to remember my Bible. And for those of you that are joining us uh, online, if you would please uh, uh, grab some elements that would represent the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, And if you'd please open the elements so we can um, dispense with the cellophane symphony. (laughs) Uh, I know, I know, I know. It's soon and very soon. Um, So I just want to draw our attention here, and and, and we're going to put ourselves in that space of the disciples, recognizing that every time Jesus hands us the bread, 
there's more to go around. Every time Jesus gives life, there's plenty of life to go around. And so I'm going to read in English. Javi, you're going to read in Spanish. Spanish. Uh, And so we're going to read the text in Mark chapter 14. We're going to tether this text that we were just reading to the Mark 14 text. Notice the activity that Jesus does with the bread. And then we're going to pause. And I'm going to ask you to consider this question. What does it mean for you to be with Jesus? Knowing that he loves you more than you could ever imagine. He knows you inside and out. And he calls you to himself. What does it mean for you to be with Jesus, even in this moment? And then I'll come back and I'll lead us in the taking of communion together. So so let's read. All right. Mientras comían, Jesús tomó pan y lo bendició. Luego lo partió y se lo dio a ellos, diciéndoles, Tomen, esto es mi cuerpo. As they were eating, he took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take it, this is my body. Después tomó una copa, dio gracias, y se la dio a ellos, y todos bebieron de ella. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Esto es mi sangre del pacto, que es derramada por muchos, les dijo. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Les aseguro que no volveré a beber del fruto de la vida hasta aquel día en que beba el vino nuevo en el reino de Dios. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine till that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Just take a moment to reflect. On that night, Jesus was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it. Giving it to his disciples, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and eat? In the same way, he took of the cup, saying, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Would you take and drink? Before I pray and conclude, I want to ask you to pause for a moment and to consider this, that when Jesus gives the bread, there's always more to give, and that he uses his followers, like you and me, 
to be the distributors of that bread. And so would you just take a moment and ask the Lord what it would look like for you to be a distributor of the bread to those in your life. Maybe even if there's someone that he's bringing to mind right now that needs to hear this truth. Would you take a moment? people who recognize that there is always more to give. Do you remember the green grass? Isn't it strange that there's so much green grass available? It seems quite rare. In fact, most of the commentators note that it is really out of place for there to be that amount of green grass available for that size of a group in that region. And yet Mark notes it. It's almost like the goodness of the kingdom of God was just sprouting up out of the ground for that moment. It could also be that Mark had this in mind when he recorded it for us. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let this be our prayer and live in light of this truth. We'll see you guys next week.